0: From the Amazon to the Himalayas, God is accomplishing His mission. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast, stories and conversations with the global church and for the global church about the mission of God in the world. And now here is your host,
1: Paul Aiken. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. And in this episode, we're going to be having a conversation with Dr. Aubrey Saquera. Dr. Saquera serves as the senior pastor of Evangelical Community Church in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. He is originally from India and worked in engineering and IT before being saved and called to ministry. Dr. Sequera is a two-time graduate of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he completed a Master's of Divinity degree, as well as a PhD in Biblical Theology. Last year, I had the opportunity to spend some time in person with Aubrey in the Middle East, and I was greatly encouraged during my time with him, and I'm really excited to have the conversation today. Dr. Sequera, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you, Dr. Aiken. It's a joy to uh, connect with you and to be on this podcast. I really feel a uh, privilege and joy to be here.
1: Praise the Lord. Why don't you just start by telling us briefly about you and your family?
0: Yep. So uh, you've introduced me already. You know, my name is Aubrey. I live in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. I am married to Nishika and uh, my wife and, and Nishika and I, we've been married for 12 years now. This was a, a really like a high school romance that eventually the Lord brought us together. And we've been blessed with three little girls, ages eight, seven, and five. Eliana, Petra, who is named after the Christian rock band, and Carissa is our youngest, and she's five. All three of whom were born while we were in Louisville at Southern Seminary.
1: Okay. Awesome. Thank you for sharing with us about your family. You mentioned there that you're currently living and serving in in Abu Dhabi. I mentioned that you're originally from India. And so I would love for for us to fill in those gaps a little bit for the listeners. How did a young man who is from India, who became a believer, follower of Jesus Christ, now end up pastoring in the Middle East? So could you share with us your, your salvation testimony? How did the Lord save you?
0: Yeah, thank you. I am originally from Chennai in South India. It's a big city uh, there. And I grew up in Chennai in a Roman Catholic household, a very religious Roman Catholic home. And if you're familiar with Catholicism in some parts of the world in India, it is a very idolatrous and superstitious form of religion. And you know, when I was in my teens, I became very rebellious. (laughs) I started playing rock music. I began playing bass guitar. Ended up, when I was 19, playing for one of the largest rock bands in India. One of India's premier rock bands was touring around the country even while I was studying engineering. And all of that, just the wild lifestyle of rebellion. I also was studying engineering at an Islamic institution. And, you know, this was a time in my life where for the first time I began thinking seriously about the world and life and who we are. I had a number of Muslim friends at college who really challenged me, you know, for me, I was Roman Catholic. My religion was just a once a week nominal thing. But for these guys, their religion was their whole life. So that made me begin questioning things. Plus, even with all of the fun and excitement of playing rock music, I just found my life growing increasingly empty. And uh, it was around this time I was going through a very dark phase and God brought this person into my life who's another musician. And his life was just very different from everyone else that I knew in the music scene. And I ended up learning that he was going to this church. He invited me to go to church with him. I went out of curiosity and, you know, maybe God can fix my life. And as I began going to this church, I experienced a kind of love. It was an evangelical Bible-believing church. It was the first time I'd ever gone to a church like that when I was 21 years old. I just experienced love from the people there. I began to see if, if, they, if there really is a God, you know, these people know him. And I ended up going to a Bible study, a weeknight Bible study in that church, which was run by an American who was living in my city, you know, on mission. And he was supposed to be starting a restaurant soon as kind of his platform. And I was told that the food at his Bible study is really good. So I went to Tom's Bible study on Thursday nights, mainly for the food. And Tom really challenged me with the Bible. He got me reading the Bible. He challenged me with a lot of questions that exposed, you know, flaws in my thinking. Eventually, I remember he started teaching through Ephesians. And and at some point along the way, reading the Bible, thinking through these things, I became convinced the Lord put the conviction in my heart that this book is the word of God and I can believe what it says. And by that point, we had reached Ephesians. And while we were going through Ephesians, I heard the gospel for the first time in my life, why Jesus died. I remember it very clearly, Ephesians chapter 2 which says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, by nature, children of wrath, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved through faith. That was the first time I heard the gospel. And about a month out from that, you know, I was on a train, I was traveling, I had played a concert with a band, got completely wasted, you know, and was on a on train and decided to read the Bible that I had in my backpack. And you know, I was still wrestling with these things and, and with the claims of the gospel of Christ. And I remember just opening first John and saying, I have never read this before. And first John chapter one if we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And I think that's when the Holy Spirit opened my eyes, and the Lord brought me from darkness to light and saved me. And I put my faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. I was baptized two months after that. And the Lord uh, radically transformed my life from there. I started sharing the gospel with others. My mother came to faith in Christ. She and I were baptized together. My girlfriend at the time also came to faith in Christ and she is my wife today. So that's how the Lord saved me. You know, I was involved with, uh, like you said, working at, I graduated college, started working as an engineer, was involved in Christian ministry already while I was in India. My job moved me to Toronto, continued working there. And while I was in Toronto, I began to grow more and more zealous and passionate to be trained and to serve the Lord with my whole life. I was very influenced by the preaching of John Piper and the call not to waste your life. And in God's providence, he ended up bringing us to Louisville. I left my job in Toronto. We moved to Louisville to be trained and with a desire to go wherever he might lead. And again, in God's leading, somehow he opened this door and and brought us here to the UAE United Arab Emirates and to Abu Dhabi and it really ended up being a perfect fit for us and for the work that the Lord has called me to so that's how a uh, boy from India <laughs> ended up here uh, serving the Lord in Abu Dhabi it's all God's grace
1: amen praise the lord thank you for for taking some time to to share that with us just encouraging to hear how the Lord is at work, and grateful that the Lord has led you to where you are currently. And so now I want to switch gears and ask some questions about where you are right now, where you're living and serving. You mentioned that you're living and serving there in the Middle East. And so I want you to talk a little bit about that region of the world. What are the people? What's the culture like? What is the state of the church in that location, in that place?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Where we're living, I live in the United Arab Emirates. All right? So it's uh, in what they call the Arabian Peninsula. It's a Gulf country, the Persian Gulf, right? On the shores of the Persian Gulf. I live in a city, the capital city of the United Arab Emirates, uh, Abu Dhabi, which is a little less famous than its uh, very glitzy and very famous neighbor, Dubai, right? So everyone knows Dubai. People think Dubai is a country, it's actually a city. And here, Abu Dhabi and Dubai really are global cities. These are global, like a global hub if you come here, you'll find that it's really East meets West in some ways. It's a crossroads right at the center of the world in some ways, right? You have North America and Europe and North America to the West, and then Asia, India, all of that to the East. So this is a global hub. Uh, The native population here is Emirati Arab, and about 20% of the population is local, the Emirati Arab. The remaining 80% of the population of this country is actually an expat population. So expatriates are people who are coming from many, many different parts of the world to live here and to work. And I mean, you have people from pretty much every nation under heaven in this uh, one place in in these cities. And if you've not seen the transformation of Dubai over the last decades, I, I suggest, you know, Googling it on YouTube, look for transformation of Dubai and just look at how, you know, Dubai, which was formerly a fishing village, uh, really has grown into a, kind of a global powerhouse of, of a city. As for the church here, the church here in in many ways, is is a reflection of the church in the global south as a whole. you know, because, like I said, you have people coming from all these parts of the world, and that's very reflective of what you see here. So we have a number of churches. There's a growing Christian population. The local authorities and government have always been very benevolent. They're very tolerant and and kind. they're happy. For churches to meet here. Uh, You know, our church building is built on land that was given to us by the Abu Dhabi government. So they're very encouraging and tolerant in those ways. I should say there are numerous congregations from different languages, different peoples. So there's a lot of growth. And you see a lot of people who name the name of Christ. But sadly, just like the state of the global church, a lot of that tends to be very rapid growing, large numbers, but very shallow in depth and in doctrine. And we really do see the very disastrous effects of the prosperity, so-called prosperity gospel and health wealth teaching spread across both churches and the lives of Christians who live in this region and who come from Africa, Asia, and other parts of the world. So yeah, there's lots of work to be done, and there's a lot of work to be done in the gospel reaching indigenous peoples as well.
1: That's helpful perspective for you just to kind of lay out some of that context But you were recently voted in as the senior pastor of the Evangelical Community Church there in Abu Dhabi. I would love for you to tell us a little bit about that church.
0: Yes, glad to. So the Evangelical Community Church that I pastor is kind of the flagship international evangelical church in this city. We've been around for nearly 50 years now. Next year will be the Golden Jubilee. So this church was planted back in 1972 early days when people first, evangelicals first came to this region. We have just about 500 members and before COVID happened. Uh, so a year ago at this time, we had over a thousand people in attendance every Friday morning at our worship services. So 500 members, around thousand in attendance. Our membership, and, and this is interesting, our membership includes people from nearly 50 nationalities from all over the world. I mean, last night I just learned uh, of a sister from swaziland who is in the membership process at our church i don't think i've ever met anybody from swaziland before so we have people from numerous cultural i mean i just named 15 nationalities but you multiply that because you know you have some countries like india where people are from multiple language groups and different cultures and so we have people from numerous cultural and linguistic backgrounds and really when we gather for worship it's beautiful it's like a picture of Revelation 5, from every tribe and tongue and nation worshiping King Jesus together, you get an amazing picture of what Christ has accomplished in drawing the nations to himself. Love our church, love our people. We're a growing church, growing in understanding of the word of God and in loving one another and reaching out together.
1: Amen, amen. That's encouraging to hear. This this next question, I'd love to, you know, you're you're stepping into a new role in a sense. I know you've served on the on pastoral staff for several years now, but now stepping into this role as senior pastor. And so there's kind of a kind of a two phase question that I want to ask. And one is kind of broadly, what is your vision? What is your hope for ECC Abu Dhabi and kind of how you want the Lord to use this church in the surrounding region? And then kind of maybe a bigger, broader question related to that what role do you believe international churches can play in the Great Commission? I mean, you just mentioned just kind of this unique church that's set up there, kind of in the heart of the Middle East with, you know, members from 50 different nations and all these kind of different things. So what's your vision and hope for the church? And then kind of what role do you think international churches more broadly can play in the Great Commission?
0: Yes, thank you, brother. Glad to share our vision statement as a church is uh, that we desire to be an embassy of the Lord Jesus Christ in Abu Dhabi. So we're an embassy of, of the Lord Jesus. We represent his kingdom here in Abu Dhabi. And we're growing disciples from the nations to be gospel ambassadors to the nations. And I think that really encapsulates who God has called us to be as a church here. We are a people from the nations. Like I said, you know, God is bringing the nations here to our doorstep. People from so many different contexts, people from unreached people groups, you know, who otherwise might never encounter the gospel in their home context are right here, part of our church. And our goal is to fulfill what Jesus commanded us to do is to make disciples of them, to grow them as disciples, but not just to grow inwardly, also to be sent out as gospel ambassadors, right? We want to send gospel ambassadors to the nations, both to to the nations here in Abu Dhabi, in our context, as well as beyond. We want our members to go out equipped from here with the gospel imprinted on their hearts and take that gospel to the ends of the earth. You know, I, I think about the church in Antioch in the book of Acts, that church, you know, from which Paul and Barnabas were raised up and sent out, that church was planted by a bunch of ordinary Christians who were, you know, who came out from the church in Jerusalem and what an impact uh, the church at Antioch made for the sake of Christ. And, you know, so that would be really our, my goal. I, I think of uh, other great expat churches in history, I think of the church in Geneva at the time of the Protestant Reformation. This is something I've tried to hold before our elders and our people constantly. The church in Geneva had people fleeing persecution from other Roman Catholic parts of Europe, and they came to Geneva. And at Geneva, they experienced expository preaching, a kind of vibrancy of church life and worship that they would never experienced in their lives. And Geneva also launched a a training academy for pastors there and ended up planting, I think over 2000 churches in neighboring France where it was illegal to be a Christian. The Protestant population of France grew by over 10% over the next 20 years. And and a lot of that was missionaries sent out from Geneva to Poland, to Hungary, all the way to Brazil. And my, my hope really is that our church here in Abu Dhabi, Lord willing, by his grace, Would become a sort of 21st century Geneva here in the Middle East, where we have the opportunity, the people that God is bringing to us, to disciple them, train them, equip them, and then send them out to plant churches wherever God gives us opportunity. And that we would see a multiplication of healthy churches, faithful gospel preaching churches throughout the 1040 window. So that's a little bit about our church. I I think the other uh, thing you asked was generally about international churches and, and what role international churches can play. In the Great Commission. I should say on the one hand, I mean, you know, sometimes international churches can be really weak and a bad kind of model for Great Commission. I have seen contexts where the international church is is just kind of a country club for expats and and, and just more like a chapel meeting where people just kind of gather and and it's, you know, there, there isn't really any serious commitment or serious vision to glorify the Lord. But a gospel preaching and biblically faithful international church, I believe the international churches that are rooted in scripture can exercise great impact and influence for the sake of the gospel and for the advance of the great commission. I mean, first of all, I mean, Jesus has called us, the great commission is that we're called to make disciples, <laughs> to baptize them and teach them everything that Jesus has commanded us to do. And I think the, biblically speaking, the, the primary context for making disciples is the local church. And uh, international churches are often in regions where it's difficult for other churches to take root, but the government, like like in our case, the government gives us favor and, and gives us a legally recognized space. So the international church can be a great and fertile ground for evangelism and for discipleship and to reach unreached peoples with the gospel of Christ, people who might otherwise never come into contact with the gospel back in their home context or wherever they are. An international church affords you the opportunity to both reach those people as well as to teach them everything that Jesus commanded. International churches, you know, are are a place where you, because people come from so many different backgrounds and from so many different cultures, so many different denominational backgrounds, again, you're forced to kind of keep the Bible central. And by doing that, people begin to learn how scripture actually is sufficient for all of life. It dictates Christian identity. It dictates who we are. Scripture is enough to teach us how we should do church. And then people begin to experience in that context a kind of church life, preaching and teaching of of the word of God and, and discipleship that they've never seen or experienced in other churches in their home context before. In some ways, we get to live out uh, some things in the New Testament, you know, where people from different cultural backgrounds will come into conflict. And, you know, the apostles had to keep teaching them how the gospel brings us together across these uh, ethnic and linguistic barriers. And we get to experience that in an international context. And finally, I want to say, just like I shared, you know, my hope and vision for our church, I think international churches can be a great platform for training, equipping and for sending and, and launching other churches and missionaries, which you, you might not really have. It's, some places are difficult for a Westerner or, or someone else to get into. But here we have a context where we can bring people in from very unreached contexts and train them up and send them back. And I think international churches have a great platform and opportunity for this in, in God's grace and providence.
1: Amen. I think that's that's really helpful perspective. It's good because we see. I feel like over the last decade or two, we we kind of are seeing an increase. I know your your church there has been around for several decades now, but we seem to be seeing a little bit of an increase in this idea of the international church. And I think it's encouraging to kind of hear some perspective on ways that that can kind of help serve as a hub or a base for the spread of the gospel to a particular regions. So thanks for sharing some about that. I want you to think now back on your work over the past two. to three years really your work or even the work of the church there in abu dhabi and what is something that's encouraging that the lord has done you know people all around the world are praying for you they're praying for your work they're praying for your church so tell us what the lord has been doing
0: yeah we're so thankful for those prayers of god's people for the work of the gospel here and by god's grace we've seen so many answers to prayer and so much gospel growth one of the things I rejoice in in our church is that we see real gospel growth in the lives of people, both in terms of spiritual growth for those who know Jesus, as well as growth in terms of the Lord bringing people from darkness to light and from idols to serve the living God. You know, I, I just think of the way I've seen people grow here. I, I, there was, you know, when I moved here, there was one brother who had an interest in, in reading scripture. And, uh, you know, I started meeting with him. We started studying theology together and uh, really discipling, mentoring him. And he started an outreach, you know, in his own language to other people. And that outreach really grew and grew. It was this little Bible study that he started, which was about seven or eight people and ended up 40 to 50 people meeting in a hall uh, as he was preaching the word. And from that outreach, I remember last year we baptized a sister into membership in our church. And, you know, I, I was sensitive details i can't share her name and but she comes from one of the most unreached people groups in the world and she was saved through the preaching of this brother who's you know he he works in education and he just started this outreach ministry just out of being you know so f- overflowing with uh, everything that he'd been learning at our church so praise god for that and I, I could multiply stories like that of of people you know who are reaching out with the gospel of christ and, and also seeing great gospel growth in their own life I'm seeing people discipled out of the prosperity gospel. There's so many people who have come into our church, you know, whose favorite Bible teacher was Benny Hinn or Joel Osteen, and they've come to repudiate that kind of thing. And, and really they are holding on to the true gospel of Christ. I, I just saw this even uh, last month. I should mention how our church has grown in loving and caring for one another and fulfilling the law of Christ. There was this dear couple who joined our church uh, from Pakistan, and uh, you know, a year after joining our church, they they really plugged themselves into the community, again, grew in their understanding of doctrine, going away from prosperity teaching. And uh, this brother was diagnosed with stomach cancer, stage four, and he's 42, his wife was 30. And just two weeks ago, the Lord called him home to glory. And you know, his uh, hospital room for the last two months, almost 24 seven, there have been members of our church congregation, going there to the hospital room, spending time with his wife, ministering to him. And, you know, eventually when, when, he, when he died, he was surrounded in his room, he was surrounded by members of our congregation from many different nationalities, singing hymns, and even there with him till his final breath. Him and his wife, she shared with me, I've never seen this kind of love in a church. Every experience in church that we've had before, it was never like, it's always a one-man show, you know, where the pastor was the big boss or so-called anointed man of God. Even watching them learning to submit to the sovereignty and grace of God in suffering, coming out from a previously a health, wealth, prosperity teaching background, it was just beautiful. And only the Lord can do that. I would also say we've seen the Lord open up opportunities for us, for the advance of the gospel that we've been praying for years for things like this to happen. So we have the opportunity to plant a church. And and right now we have a church planter actually moving here to our city with the goal of planting a church two hours away at the border of Saudi Arabia in a town called Ruves, which is kind of the central energy hub of the whole country. And that's right on the border of Saudi. And, you know, we have already a congregation that's, that's gathering there and we're sending out a church planter there. So that's just exciting stuff. We have the government has given us permission to start a theological training center to train up pastors and church planters in our own building. And so that's, that's, again, a huge opportunity. Again, answers to prayer. Finally, I'll say, you know, one of the most encouraging things we've seen is, is our global pastoral apprenticeship program. And we bring in men from the global South each year with an intent for them to spend a year with us, to be trained in the work of ministry and to be sent out And we've had men from India, from Ethiopia, from the Philippines, from Angola, from Uganda, Zimbabwe participate in that program. You know, our brother from the Philippines came here, he's gone back, he's planting a church now in Metro Manila. Have another brother who participated in that program, who's helping lead a church plant and a seminary in one of the most unreached parts of North India. So uh, again, these are things that God in his grace has allowed us to be a part of. And we're extremely excited uh, also for the future and and how he will give more growth to these opportunities.
1: Praise the Lord. That's really encouraging to hear just, you know, a snapshot of some of the things that the Lord is doing there in your midst. I want to switch gears and ask a little bit of a different question here. You know, you were just sharing about some of the encouraging things that the Lord is doing, but I know that all of your work is not not always easy, not always encouraging. And so I want to think some about the challenges that you face. What is would you say the single biggest challenge in your work and i know sometimes it can be hard to kind of narrow it down to one but if you can try to narrow it down to one or two what would you say are the the single biggest what is one or two of the single biggest challenges you face in your work
0: yeah thank you for that i think i can narrow it down to one Well, i could name a few right i could say covid right now is the single biggest challenge but that's every church in the world right now right that's not unique to us previously you know as i thought about i would i would have, i could have said transience right because this is a rotating like expat population but again that's most city churches most churches in the city in any city in the world are are transient and that's that's part of what you get into when you move to a global city i will say that the one the single biggest challenge for us is staffing just because of the way the economy is you know even though we have a large large uh, number of attenders. We're a large church. We can't necessarily afford all the staff that we need. So, you know, I mentioned we have 500 members. We've had over a thousand in attendance. A church that size in in the West, in the United States, might have four or five staff pastors and a staff team of about 15. We are much restricted from that. So, uh, you know, at any given time, we have three staff pastors and we have a, a fairly small staff with a lot of part-timers and that is that that can be challenging sometimes you know i wish we we had the resources to have a larger staff team so i would say that that is the biggest challenge is we don't have enough full-time staff workers on staff it can be draining at times because there's so much to do so much you want to do but but you're just kind of restricted by your own capacity and bandwidth
1: I mentioned in the introduction that you attended Southern Seminary for two different degrees, a master's degree and a PhD degree. I'm curious, how did the Lord use Southern to help prepare you for the work and ministry that you're involved in today?
0: Oh, wow. I could uh, keep on and on talking about this. (laughs) Well, I'll say, um, first and foremost, at Southern, I learned how to rightly handle the word of truth. That's the most important and central, right? At Southern, I learned what I needed to learn. I, I was given the tools that I needed to be able to preach and teach the whole counsel of God and to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ from the scriptures. And I think, you know, the scriptures are the fountain of everything that we do. And to be able to handle the scriptures well and, and preach the scriptures faithfully, right from exegesis all the way to exposition and, and preaching, Southern gave me the tools that I, that I need to be able to, to do that, to open the word of God to God's people and let the word speak. I'd say at Southern also, you know, uh, Southern was a context in which I formed most of my core convictions. You know, everything that I believe about who God is, about how he works, about the local church, all of this was formed and shaped at Southern. You know, I, I, I learned to have this rock solid reliance on the sufficiency and the power of scripture, the sufficiency of God's word to do God's work, to see how all of the Bible unfolds as one unified story, all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, to understand the meaning of Christ's work on the cross and, and how to teach that to others. The place of the local church, you know, the centrality of the local, I love the emphasis that Southern places on the centrality of the local church for Christian discipleship as the context in which we are formed and grown as Christians. And of course, the absolute sovereignty of God and his glory in salvation and judgment. All of those convictions were formed and shaped while I was at Southern Seminary. And most importantly, one of the gifts that Southern gives you that stays with you your whole life is the network of friends and relationships, right? Both among the faculty with the faculty members at Southern, as well as so many brothers whom I saw, brothers and sisters, when we studied together and who are serving faithfully in different contexts all over the world. I mean, I have a bunch of international minutes on my phone and I use them up every month. And usually they're used up talking to somebody whom, you know, we spend time together at Louisville. And so I'm so thankful for that network uh, of relationships and partners in the gospel whom I know are praying for me and whom I lean on often for advice.
1: Hmm, That's encouraging. I appreciate you sharing that. This next question is a little bit more personal In nature, but it's a question I ask everyone that I interview. And here's the question day after day, week after week, and month after month what keeps you there in that place and why are you giving your life to this work?
0: The Lord Jesus Christ said, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. So, uh, what keeps me here and giving my life to the work of pastoral ministry? is this confidence that Jesus has spoken through his word. He speaks through his word today and that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes that the gospel of Jesus when preached will gather God's people from the nations, that the gospel forms God's people into you know his people who live in obedience to his word. The gospel is what grows in God's people an ambition to see God's name glorified in the nations. And so really what keeps me here is is that desire to see the name of Christ glorified among his people from all nations. That's what drives me.
1: Amen. This is last question for you. What is one thing you want everyone listening to this podcast to know or to do?
0: Well, I'm going to cheat a little and say two things. One is a little more selfish and one is more for you. But for us, I would say, pray for us, please pray for us. Pray uh, that the gospel would speed ahead and multiply and would bear fruit, that the Lord would continue to build his church so that the gates of AIDS would not prevail against it. Pray for us. So that's for us. And then what would I want you to do? I would, I would want you to live fervently all out, live flat out for the glory of Jesus He is so worth it. Wherever God calls you, wherever He places you, just live for His glory and build up His church.
1: Praise the Lord. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Dr. Aubrey Sequeira today. Please pray for him, for his family, and for the ministry of his church there in Abu Dhabi. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast and be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to Amazon to the Himalayas.
0: Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu BGS, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.